you don't get anywhere by yourself. It doesn't matter who you are, and you know, no one's self-made. You know, because at, at your your most infant stage, somebody had to nurse you, and so at at some point in everybody's life, we need people, and it really developed in me like that drive to know that you'll always need people, um, you'll always have the right people. And as long as you don't quit on yourself, regardless of how low you get, you'll always come through. From Fiori Communications, it's How I Got Here, a show of inspiring stories from Tallahassee area leaders, business owners, and neighbors, all the challenges, opportunities, inspirations, the twists and turns of life that led them to where they are today. Everyone has a story worth telling, and I am really grateful that we get to bring a few of them to you. I truly have been changed by my conversations with these amazing people, and I'm confident you will be too. I'm Dave Fiore, and in this episode, I speak with Royal King, the founder and executive director of Omega Lamplighters, a mentoring program for minority young men that now has 20 chapters across the country. Royal is also the volunteer services manager for Leon County, a job he started in March 2020. The FAMU graduate is a native of Dallas who loves all sports, but especially basketball. He grew up in a loving home with involved parents who believed in the value of having other adults speak into the lives of their children. Royal was strongly influenced by childhood mentorship programs and his father's trusted fraternity brothers, experiences he says shaped who he is today. After struggling a bit with focus in college, Royal rebounded with the help of others and was motivated by his desire to deliver on the promise his family showed in him. Today, he works to help others do the same. We started our conversation talking about how he would describe himself today. I'd probably describe myself uh, first as a a servant, and I'd kind of give them my background and kind of let them know that I've kind of been this way for a very long time, and and it's not by chance, it's by grooming and structure. And um, from that that experience, it kind of grew me um, individually to to want greater, uh, to be a greater servant. So I'd first let them know that... um, I am who I am because of the sacrifice and time others put into me, specifically my parents and mentors, and that because of that, I um, set on on a quest pretty young to try to do the same thing for other uh, young people um, so that they could have op- access to opportunities that would not only improve their day-to-day lives, but in- improve later the lives for uh, their family and friends. So I uh, grew up uh, in a two-parent home, and the things that made me who I am was th- that upbringing, but specifically the the village that my parents put around me uh, with my mentor, Cheryl Smith, and mentoring programs that I participated in, and that in everything that I do now, today, yesterday, and tomorrow, it's always going to be people first. So okay. you are a native of Dallas. So what was it like growing up there when you were young? Uh, I loved it. Um, huge city. Um, a lot of opportunity and exposure to a lot of different things because uh, it, it allows you to, you know, see so many things. Super sports kid. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up uh, when I was about in probably early elementary and middle school. I, I love sports so much. All of the video games that would come out, basketball and football specifically, I could name you every player on the roster. 2K and Madden yeah, and all that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so super uh, into sports and 
Cowboys fan? Oh, definitely. Everything Dallas. Cowboys, Mavericks, Rangers, Stars, everything. <laughs> I just rooted for, for my hometown because I just, I loved it. Right. Um, spent a lot of time um, in the summers with my grandmother in San Antonio. And that, that had a, a, a large impact on me too because up until I got in high school, we would spend the summers there. And so San Antonio became like a second home and all of my other cousins would, would come and stay with her as well too. And that would give you an opportunity for us to kind of connect. And uh, my grandmother is a, a pistol starter too as well, her and my grandfather. Um, and so um, those those summers there, you know, were, were huge in my life as well. Uh, but yeah, love Dallas. Um, I miss it a lot. But sometimes we're we're called to be in other places, and uh, now my goal is to be able to be here um, and grow what I've I've been able to start, but be able to be in a position to go home when I want to and more often. Right. Do you have siblings? Yes, I have an older sister. Uh, her name's Princess. She's six years older than my twin and I, and I have a twin sister named Majesty, and I'm the baby of the three. Okay. Okay. So. When you bring up their names, all very regal or monarchical names, I guess. Yeah. So where where did the, where does the name structure come from in your family? So it's really just in my immediate family. Okay, uh, everyone else uh, outside of my father have, uh, I guess, what we would consider more normal names. Uh, so they name my dad Royal, kind of like him in a lot of ways, more than I care to admit. But uh, <laughs> uh, he wanted to have unique names for his, his children. So I don't know how they decided on Princess and Majesty, but Royal was an easy one since I was just kind of named after him with a different middle name. Right. Um, and even in my middle name, it's Augustus, and it means exalted one. So I think um, my father and my mom, when, when they decided to have children, that they wanted them to have something that made them stand out, but also something for them to be proud of. Mm -hmm. And so kind of <laughs> led to the name. Right. And having the last name King helps right absolutely it, it made absolutely. a little more sense yeah yeah, yeah. uh royal fiori might not make us <laughs> might have a different ring to it that'd yeah. be funny all right um yeah so tell me about your parents and your relationship to them so i would say uh i'm a, a happy medium of both uh, so I start with my dad uh, because i'm his only son and so growing up the experience was uh Sometimes not rocky, but it was more like I'm trying to prepare you, black male son, for, for this world you're going to have to, you know, be in. And then also, you know, when you are ready and decide to have a family, you'll be responsible for. So those were things as a kid, teen, early young adult, you don't really understand. It's just like, why are you so hard on me? Uh, and my sisters, you know, uh, daddy's girls both in their own right could could, you know, get away with a lot more things. But it wasn't until... Uh, really, I started working with um, mentoring, you know, young boys that I understood uh, why he was the way he was with me. Right, but right. then that was just how he was with everybody. Um, but I was because I was his son and, you know, carrying his name. It was a lot harder uh, for me. And he wasn't like a mean, you know, just very matter of fact and, you know, very direct. This is what you're going to do. You're going to honor your parents. You're going to represent us at all times in a positive way. And. If I was to do anything bad, and I was never, I was the, the sweetest kid, but any small thing that yeah. would be like, I, it wasn't even that big a deal. It was harder for me than it was my siblings and anybody else. How did that compare to the experience of your friends? Was that, 
were they raised the same way or were you odd in that way? So a lot of them weren't. Uh, most of my friends, um, not all, uh, came from single parent homes, uh, but they all had a, a respect for my father because he was harder on me, but he was still hard on them. So mm-hmm. like they weren't going to be at our house hanging out and just, you know. Disrespecting right, him. Right, right. Or and, your mom or whatever. Yeah, and, and our house in our neighborhood was like where everyone came. So I grew up super into basketball. And so when I was about maybe 10 or 11, got a basketball goal in our backyard. And so after schools and things like that, everyone, weekends, summers, we would be there, 30, 40 kids in a <laughs> half court, you know, playing basketball. Right. So um, they always kept snacks and things. And so my dad was very like, all right, cool uh, with with having your guys over here. But you know, they're going to follow these rules. So, you know, you got to cut the grass at this time. They're going to be here. They can help you or they can go home. <laughs> or if you got chores, you know, right, they can help right. you or they're going to go home kind of thing. So um, I didn't appreciate it as a kid, but I definitely appreciate it now. And It's um, funny how that works, right? Yeah. He was uh, very, like, on point. So I remember. And he was stern with me, but he, he just kind of always demanded excellence and everything is what I kind of come to see it. So even like at restaurants, he wouldn't give the waiters a hard time, but he just demanded excellence. So when a a, a server was really good, he would he would tip them accordingly, but he wasn't going to accept bad service for something that he paid for. And so I just kind of and watching him as I got older, started to develop and see that those were life lessons that I learned because he just he just didn't play with, with anything and uh, and everything that he does. Even now, he's he's on our board for the, the lamplighters and. He's in Texas, and everyone else majorly is in Tallahassee, right. but he holds everyone accountable. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the things that people were supposed to do, and you don't want to kind of you know rock the boat, he's going to bring it up. And so, so they know if he's on the call, they better have their stuff together. Yeah, right? or, or you're going to get a, a verbal <laughs> lashing on like, well, what's the next step? Because, you know, we, right. from, last, from month to month, we didn't do anything. Right. What about your mom? So my mom is a, a sweetheart. And so uh, that's why I like to say I'm a happy medium because uh, I have a huge heart, like huge heart. And I think a lot of that came from my mom and a lot of her having it comes from her parents. So when she grew up, her house kind of like in the ways it was for us as kids with basketball was where everyone came to eat. And uh, her parents, I never got an opportunity to meet them, were, you know, feed the neighborhood um, Mm. and everyone would come to their house and fellowship and like if you came you were going to get a hot meal they didn't believe in leftovers and so a lot of that kind of stayed with her and she always was more like to the background like taking care of the day-to-day you know making sure we all had meals and things but the the biggest heart um and that's kind of where um they would always have the snacks and when my my friends would come over even from my sister and you know they they knew that they were going to be able to eat and uh, right. have a, you know hang out over there like they yeah. always kept the snacks <laughs> at our <laughs> snacks house. Snacks are big with teenagers, yes, right? Yes, and so my mom was just like the the sweetest person, like patient, um, understanding, listening, just always to the back, just kind of you know making sure everyone around her was you know in a good space. She was like you know a quiet but very like um, loving loving person, and mm-hmm. so I think my patience and I'd probably say like. My care and, and, and love for people comes from her because not only only in the ways that she loved me and my siblings, but just everyone in our community, all of our friends and, you know, just really was big about that. Right. 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 So you went to Lincoln High School, not the Lincoln we know here. But so what were you interested in high school? What was high school like for you? So high school uh, was very different. And so 
Uh, Lincoln was actually a, a humanities and communications magnet high school in South Dallas, which at the time and even to this day was one of the most uh, poverty-stricken and uh, violent areas of the mm. city, but was also um, athletically one of the, the the best areas to go. And so I went there for a couple of reasons. I knew at an early age I wanted to do something in journalism. And again, I had hoop dreams. So mind you, I'd been a, a bigger kid pretty much since I was eight years old. But uh, I love I played basketball and football, but I just had a, a passion for basketball because um, regardless of your size, you could be the star if you were good. Right. And so, you know, football, I was always on the line, which was an important part, but no one got to see you shine. But in basketball, you could. You could, you know, right. score and, and be seen. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of love – I don't know. I just love the game more. But it was an interesting experience because of the, the community in which the school was in. Uh, and I'll never forget. So the school is actually named after um, – at the time was a, a, a community housing project. Um and the cemetery sit right next to the school. And my first day of school, I'll never forget getting off the bus. And it was this girl beating up this guy. <laughs> One of my best friends, uh, who I, ref- I referred to as my cousin because we were so close. And really in that high school time, we got really close and both lived outside of that area. Uh, we got off the bus and we're like, did we make the right choice <laughs> uh, for our high school? But it, it, uh, it allowed me to grow up a lot because... You, you couldn't uh, go to that school. And, I mean, mind you, it was a lot of kids who came from all over to go there for the magnet. But so you traveled to get there, right? You didn't live in that area. Yeah, yeah. Right. I would have to take uh, two buses. I'd, I'd go to one high school, get picked up, then go to another high school. They'd pick up other kids, and then from there they would bring us to, okay. the, to the school till I started driving my junior year. Right. But it was a good experience. You enjoyed your time there? Absolutely. I, I grew uh, so much um, um, from middle school to high school. Uh, you know, I was always the the bigger kid, like chubby, and like I had a high pitched voice, um, and I had a fro my freshman year, and didn't think girls like me and, and things like that. So over that time, I, I met some of the people who are like some of my closest friends today, um, and I really grew my confidence throughout high school. Um, Your voice got deeper, obviously. Yeah, voice got deeper, got some <laughs> facial hair. Um, <laughs> that helps. And, uh, yeah, really grew a lot because you yeah. couldn't – it was a, a tough environment, but not for, for negative reasons. You just It just grew you up, you know. Right. Because people were, were living in – you know, some wacky spaces. And you got to focus on some journalism aspects of school too? Yeah. So, um, and that's where I really like, I guess, blossomed because uh, I was in the journalism part of the magnet. And so we were able to participate in um, doing like broad, we would do news broadcasts. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I started to go with and film the video, not video, but uh, film and record the basketball and football games. My, My professor at the time, well, not professor, but he ran the program, Dr. Louis White, uh, would also he had a show that came on late night that was like the blues and so had some opportunities to go with him and film for for that show and he was a workhorse too he worked early in the morning and would teach and then like Mm -hmm. so I just would watch him also one of my major mentors to this day and connecting me to um, the mentor that changed my life with the journalism boot camp that was uh, ran out of the school but was open for young uh, minority males and females who wanted to pursue journalism careers and that was a 16-week 
you know, intense all day Saturday boot camp. Um, and it came from that experience at the school. So it, it allowed me to really know that I wanted to do journalism and it let me do it um, at a young age. So I had a, we were, my junior year, we had a radio, sh- uh, radio show on one of the community radio stations, a teen talk show. Um, never really wrote in the paper until college, but all things TV, radio, at the school, I was, I was all in hands-on with them. Yeah, that sounds really, it sounds like an incredible program. All right, so you've mentioned a couple of times you spent time in mentorship programs. How did you get involved with those? How did you know about them? How did those impact your life? So um, one of them, my dad is a member of Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated, which I later joined um, as a college student at Florida A&M. Right. And so they had a program that they started back up while I was in high school called The Sparks, which was basically a young men's mentoring program. And uh, and that experience uh it allowed me to see um, predominantly black men, you know, working with, you know, black boys and, you know, everyone's situation in the program was different. Um, some were in a situation like me, some were, you know, they had no males in their lives and it was just, you know, exposure uh, to a lot of different things. Uh, so I, I got a lot out of that experience. And really the bigger thing for me with it was that, so I grew up knowing my dad was a member of the fraternity, but all of my uh, uncles and, and things like that who, you know, your, your parents say that's your uncle, that's your uncle. But <laughs> once you start getting old enough to understand, like, family trees, you're like, well, that's not your brother and that's right. not mom's brother. So what's the, you know, and then I realized that those were his fraternity brothers. And I would even spend some summers with some of them who I, I, I really had close relationships with. And then I figured out the connection was the fraternity. And I always was like, wow, like, this is got to be a, a beautiful fraternity for you to entrust your only son with with these right. people and your connection is just this fraternity and you know tell them that those are his his uncles and their siblings are you know his relatives too so i always had a deep love and respect um for for what the fraternity was from, right. from that and that's a part a small part of why i was like well let me try this mentoring thing i didn't have a choice anyway <laughs> in that one definitely um enjoyed that experience and um also, in my freshman year of high school, the, the so the Dallas-Fort Worth Association of Black Communicators was a chapter of the National Association of Black Journalists. Um, and at the time, they had been doing um, journalism boot camps. So students would apply from high school to college. And right. um, it's a 16-week boot camp. And you learn everything about journalism, every everything. Uh, and you're going to do it, too. So it was competitive. So... We would go and visit the the local TV station, a radio station, and, and a newspaper. And then, in doing those things, you, you're gonna do, you're gonna do it too. So you're gonna write articles for this paper. You're gonna audition if you want to be an anchor, and we and we produce the newscast, a radio show, and a, a a newspaper at the end of that conclusion. And it was presented uh, at that closing banquet. So wow. Is this, is this like after school or when were you doing that? So it was Saturday. So it okay. was every Saturday for 16 weeks. Wow. Um, That's a big commitment. Five. I mean, yeah. <laughs> as a teenage boy, I mean, is that you were, you were excited enough about this to not feel like you were giving up your Saturdays for that long? Yeah. Uh, so I knew I wanted to do journalism and when we saw, and I, this is how I was introduced to my mentor, Shell Smith, but when we saw the, the involvement and in, in the, the, the deep detailing, you know, it was a, a opportunity I couldn't pass on because right. it's like if this is what you want to do, you're going to be connected to um, some of the best uh, people that do this that look like you. And if you're going to do it, you need to, 
you got to do it. And so it was, right. I'm sure it was some Saturdays I didn't want to, but. What an bigger, opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was intense. And, you know, we, we all enjoyed it, <laughs> but it was intense. I'm sure. Yeah, and you probably built a lot of camaraderie, right? Yeah. Among the other kids who were doing it. A few of us did come to Fort, uh, FAMU from, from that group over the years, but um, yeah, definitely. Um, Cause we, we started, that's where we started traveling too. We would go to the regional conferences, the national conferences, and they would have, um, opportunities for young journalists to to you know learn and speak, but I mean I was prepared. Um, even if I didn't think I was, I appeared prepared because of uh, the program and Cheryl Smith. Because at the end of my freshman year of high school, I had a business card and a resume, and so when I went places, like I mean we were right. you know we would have to anytime we spoke, you have to get up and introduce yourself. Um, it was just the 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 organization and the small details, we didn't realize it. We just were like, well, we got to do it. But when we went somewhere, we were so impressive. People just wanted to give you an opportunity because you just, whether you were really polished or not, you appeared that way and people wanted to give you a chance because you were different. I know a lot of times just when you're looking to hire somebody or get engaged with somebody in some way, just showing that they're putting forth the effort and they cared enough to do the little details, like you said, or look you in the eye, shake your hand, I mean, that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. She um, <laughs> and Cheryl Smith is who like ran the program and she was like mom boss. I call her my aunt now, but right. she didn't play and she would bring in, you know, we all had mentors based off what our interests were. And it was our job to reach out to them. We had to do an article on them and, and things like that. But she didn't play. And like even firm handshakes and like eye contact, because these were things we would do every session. And if you gave her a soft handshake, she would go on. You know, call you out, and right. she, it was just you know, she, you, just the fear. Like you knew she wasn't going to hit you, but you well, you never knew. Like is she gonna? But you know, she just demanded excellence, right. and um, a lot of that stayed with me even to this day. Right. I did want to ask you. You brought up a point about mentorship, and I wanted to ask you about that. And obviously, it applies to lamplighters now, but even back then, I think some people might think that mentorship is needed for young men or women, but we're talking about boys. You know, really here that it's for boys who don't have a strong male influence in their life, or maybe their dad's not part of their life, or if he is, he's busy and working and, you know, they don't have that influence, but that's not really true, right? Because having other men speak into your life, even if you have the most active, awesome dad in the world is still valuable. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, and, and it's, it's important, uh, even, even women too, because my most in, important and cherished mentor is a lady. I think that, um, Someone said it to me the best way is um, that a kid who may have everything in his day to day, he doesn't have to worry about food and things like that. And, you know, being able to go to college, that's just just one part of his development. But it the world is 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 so large and big. You know, mom and dad don't have every single experience. Um, right. my, my parents didn't have an interest in journalism, couldn't connect me to anything. So I needed people who knew how to navigate that field or knew, you know, what I needed to do now so that I could be on that path. Uh, no different than even developing as a young black male. Uh, so, yeah, my dad only had his experience, but in being in an, a, a program with 20 to 30 different men who all had different life experiences, but for for all means were, you know, what we would consider to be successful at the stages in their life they were at the time, added to my my experience. So I think mentoring is huge because your parents only have one one experience, and if you don't have parents or if you have all of that in your home, that's just one thing. But in order for you to become who you can truly be, you've got to have 
people um, reinforcing what your parents are saying if you have that, but also letting you learn from some of the, the mistakes that they made or connections that they have too. So mentoring is huge um, right. for, for youth because um, no one gets where they are by themselves, but also um, it's it's just one one side of the pie for in your day-to-day, but the world is so much larger and you, you need to be able to connect with people. Yeah. And there are some things that are just easier to talk to with somebody else that you Absolutely. trust, right, than your parents. Yeah, and that's a that's a bigger thing, and, and that's why an, another reason why it's important because even for me it's things that the, the kids I mentor will tell me but they won't tell their parents, and I'm able to kind of stand in the gap and make sure that, you know, their parents know that they can trust me. And same thing like for my parents. I was traveling <laughs> with my aunt Cheryl and other kids, but they trusted that we were okay, and those experiences changed my life because of my mentor and the, the mentors that surrounded me. But it also allowed me to know that I had a space or people if I needed to that I could talk to. And I was around other kids, regardless of what, where they were, who wanted wanted more for themselves from where they were. Yeah. And so it, it, it just it's so many um, effects and positive impacts of having a mentor in a village of people um, that you can reach out to. Right. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so now let's. You've talked about Cheryl. She encouraged you to come to Tallahassee, right? That's how you ended up here. Yeah. So one of the, and I, I was in that program for all four years of high school. And one of the first things she said, um, once I had was bought into the program, maybe by a few weeks in, and she was just saying it more or less to be smart because my parents went to Prairie View, which is a, a HBCU in Texas. Right. And most of my family had went there. And I always knew I didn't want to go to school in Texas. I, I always wanted to go somewhere else. And I didn't want any handouts. I didn't want to go to school. And because my dad or my all of my family went there, I had access to resources easily. And people were going to look out and do more for me. I wanted to go somewhere where I had to be my own man and, like, really grow. And so – and I wanted to be the best journalist. Um writer, uh, performer, all of those things. And so I'll never forget one time in one of our classes, she said, you know, the best journalists go to FAMU. And I went home and told my parents, I'm going to FAMU. I <laughs> sure said the best go to FAMU. And that's where I'm going. That's where she went. And that's where I'm going. And at the time, I didn't even really, I didn't know the school colors. I, I didn't really even know where the school was. I just knew it was in Florida. <laughs> so you were probably thinking beach or something. Definitely was thinking beach. <laughs> I was thinking that I was going to be in Florida, yep. go to school and, and be on the beach every weekend. And I love the water. So I was I was hooked. Florida, best journalism school. That's where I'm going. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't right. know how no I'm going to find the right. money. We just I'm just going. Right. <laughs> and that was kind of where I was. Did you come for an orientation or something? When's the first time you stepped foot on campus? Oh, man. So the first time I came on campus was uh, freshman week. So I didn't get accepted. I initially wasn't accepted uh, to the school. Calls from my mentor and, I mean, a lot That's of not praying. an easy school to get into. Yeah, right. yeah, a lot of praying and um, reapplying. So I didn't get accepted until – so they don't do it like they do it now, but it used to be a week for freshmen where they had all these activities and kind of give you an opportunity to adapt, get in your classes and things like right. that. So I got accepted on like a Friday – officially on like a Friday – and we left that Sunday um, for the for the freshman week. So wow. up to the wire. Uh, so I had some backups, but uh, I just really, in my heart of hearts, felt like that's this is where I was supposed to be. And oddly enough, I never asked my dad, but he he believed it too, and uh, he fought with me 
until they, all right, you know, you can come. Right. Uh, so it was literally a, a quick two two day turnaround of getting stuff together, and we drove heading over. Yeah, I was just so happy that one I got in, and then then two, I wanted to deliver on the the promise and the belief that my dad and my mentor and everybody who you know gave me scholarships or you know had prophesized you know this for me even right. when I said it. So it was more like a business trip initially. Like I'm just happy to be here because I I fought so hard to get here, and now I, I owe a lot of people. Uh, some return on their investment for fighting with me to get here. So um, I so was just you, happy. Yeah, and you were – so you took it seriously from the beginning. Yeah. You uh, didn't go nuts when you got here as a freshman. Oh, I, I went nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did go nuts. So uh, <laughs> I started out, you know, very, you know, to the to the point, but I, I did go nuts. So I came fall 04, and I didn't graduate until spring 2011. Okay. Uh, so that kind of – So know. how did things go off the rails? What happened? Uh. I think I got lost um, mm. in like the, the the campus environment. So I tell people all the time, you were not the a, first. Yeah, it's a different world mm. when you're a college student. In in, in that, um, I didn't even really explore the city until I had graduated and really started to develop a love for Tallahassee. But I mean, it's a, it's a different world, and like every, anything and everything you want is is in that little bubble. And right. you know, I had developed a name for myself, and so you know. Uh, my academics, you know, kind of faltered a, a little bit, but I was, you know, just partying. I was doing just enough to get by. You know, I was always kind of smart. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it took my dad, um, I'll never forget it, the fall of that 2010 semester. He pretty much, you know, sent me an email and was like, hey, you on your own, buddy. <laughs> mm. we, we, can't, we can't support you anymore. And I was upset because um, I felt like he was abandoning me, but I had to t- kind of tell myself that, you know, you're a, you're a man. You know, I was 23, 24 at the time, and, you know, this is supposed to have been a four-year deal, five right. at the max, and you're going on year six. Um, it was like an eye-opener because at the time I felt abandoned, but then it was like, well, I can't quit on myself. And so I was like, I, I just had to tell myself, like, you know, I would have done it differently, but, you know, it's it's you 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 know put yourself in this position, but that that moment changed my life because I said you know he didn't say he wanted to go to Florida A and M. He had then you know they had committed and helped me over and abundant from what they had to, and I was in school with people who were had to work full time jobs and things like that, and I was taking it for granted. So mm-hmm. um, it really created my drive. So I had to go get you know two part time jobs. I mean, I would do some stuff on the side, but it was all school because I wanted to, you know, make them proud and prove to myself, like, you know, return on what I said I was going to do. Yeah. So I That's great because you could have given up or yeah. quit or gone back home or done a lot of it. Yeah. You had options. But you decided to stick it out. Yeah, I had to. I didn't want – I mean, I felt, you know, I so many emotions in that time. But when I sat back and thought about it, it was like, you know – this is what you said you wanted, you know, and I got into the fraternity and, you know, I was, I was living, you were the, living college life, yes, right? traveling everywhere and doing everything. And, you know, that, that wasn't why I came. So it, I needed it. All right. So you were studying radio and television at FAMU? Yeah. Broadcast journalism. So when I first got here, I jumped into the, um, the newspaper. Uh, part of it because it was an easier um, program to kind of work with, with with print. And I started writing a lot of opinion pieces and um, 
kind of got kind of popular for, for some of the things that I talked about on campus. Um, and they would put your picture in the paper. So I really liked that. Uh, wrote for the paper uh, for a while. And then the fam Ewan, mm-hmm, right? The fam Ewan. Then I, uh, I dabbled with 90.5 and I ended up getting because I was struggling academically. They, they took that from me. Uh, mm-hmm. And that also was a part of what woke me up because I wanted to be back on the radio. And I really loved that. So that that got me together, and then I I loved the the TV part because like when I was you know pursuing basketball, it gave me that same feeling like it allowed you to be the star, in a sense like it didn't matter uh, your weight or or you know um, how you you know appeared if you you know delivered it and you made people feel good and you were still that star. It didn't matter you know how big you were, and I, I battled with a lot of issues with, with being big over my my younger years. So. That was the part that I loved about TV, and it was like making people feel better. Kind of same thing with radio, and, and a lot of those things, right. um, you're helping people, and that's kind of why I like to write the opinions and on the radio, getting people excited about their day, playing a song that you know created some kind of sense or feeling in them, and then TV when I would try to have creative stand-ups like to end it or to start it and like catchy ways to get people yeah. engaged and try to have a lot of enthusiasm in delivering it and so that people would feel good. And so as I'm talking to you, I guess kind of in all of those things, it was always about like a serving it a little bit. So yeah, it was going to be a career, but in my in my viewpoint, it was it was making people feel better. Um, so, and fam, you gave me an opportunity to do all of those things. Yeah. Um, Listening to podcasts has become a way of life for millions of Americans. 55% of the U.S. population has listened to at least one podcast. Podcast listeners are more active on social media and are more likely to follow companies and brands. At Fiori Communications, we will first help you put together a plan to execute your vision, discussing concept, format, and all the details that make a great podcast come to life. We would love to have a conversation about whether a podcast is right for you. Contact us today to learn more. So after you graduate from FAMU, was it your plan to stay in Tallahassee? Did you think you were going to make this your home for a while? Yes and no. So I knew I wanted to do journalism. So it took about, uh, I was working in an after-school program at Springwood in the YMCA. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to get an opportunity. And so one of my friends from uh, FAMU uh, Terrence had reached out to me and said, well, you any interest in being a director? And so that's when I was really in that process of after I graduated, I went full fledged organizing the, the Lamplighter program. And I was like, sure, I can, you know, direct and then show them some of my stuff and start being a reporter in my mind. Like I just getting a foot in the door. Um, but I very much still also wanted to be a reporter. So I, I took that opportunity um, and it gave me, you know, a full time job in TV. And I was still kind of on the fence, like I wanted this mentoring program to really kind of be what I, you know, started it to be because I started it in, as an undergrad. Right. And it kind of, I mean, it it like, I'm not ashamed, but it was not what I knew it could be. There are two things are happening at the same time, right? Yeah. One is you're working on a job in the, you were talking about the job at WTXL mm-hmm. that you got and you were a uh, production or Technical director mm-hmm. or yep. – and so what does that mean? So basically I was uh, responsible for the newscast, everything that happened besi- behind the scenes. So when the okay. anchors came up, when the cameras moved, uh, when the, the audio came up, um, when the video played, everything, I, I pretty much da- directed the, the whole show. So, okay. Um, 
I did the morning shows my whole time there, so I would be up pretty early, but um, six to seven. Well, we know five to seven, um, and I would do nonstop all of those shows. So I'd have to code them in our system okay. before, and you know, play through, make sure all the video was there, stuff like that. Yeah. All right. So you've got that career going on, mm-hmm. but as you mentioned, at the same time, while you were still in school, you started a pilot program of what would become Omega Lamplighters. Yeah. So you were saying that. You you didn't love what that started out as, yeah. So it was the pilot program. Yeah, it was. Um, so I, I really had no idea doing it. I was trying to still figure out life myself. But I had said at a, a young age um, in high school that I wanted to start a program for boys um, and give them the experience, com- combine the experiences I got in the two mentoring programs I was in, but mm-hmm. also give them things that. I wish we'd have did more of, and, you know, we didn't have an opportunity to step, and I, I traveled with the, the journalism program, but it was all, like, you know, for, for journalism things, but we never got to see and have any fun, so, uh, and then it was things that I knew I needed that those programs didn't give us, like, more, like, really, like, hard-line conversations about what does it mean, like, how do you really feel about yourself, how do you see the world, um, and things like that, and right. uh, wanted it to have some components that, gave kids a voice and so I didn't feel like we had a voice in the, in those programs and maybe we did but I just wasn't going to ask so like ask kids what do you want for yourself what do you want out of this experience because you know even the kids we have all of them don't want to be lamplighters and sometimes they're forced um, but then they l- end up loving it and so like asking them you know, all right, what did you want to get out of this you're here, what did you, have you gotten out of this and what do you want more of uh, so uh, yeah, so when we first started it, it it was nothing like that. It was the opposite. It was more like a, here's your T-shirt. We're going to do this thing with you. And that was kind of the negative experience I had um, in the Sparks program. Um was like, here, we're just going to go and do these things. But there was no involvement from what you wanted. Mm-hmm. And, like, organization, like, here, you sign up, you're in it. And I wanted it to be a program where kids had to go through something so that at the end of it, when they became a part, they had a pride in it. And it was a, a starting point for them, even if they hadn't battled anything in their lives, that they could say, I, I got through this. Whether it was four workshops like the 16-week boot camp that I would do. The feeling at the end when we had uh, that end-of-the-year program was like, wow, I, I, I gave up these things. And now I've got this new, I've got news clippings. I went here yeah. and went there from You accomplished experience. something. Right? And it was a, a good feeling. And so that's kind of how that induction process was formed, like. In the beginning, you know. You have a job with the county, and we're going to talk about what your, you know, vocational job is. Yeah. But you're best known in the community for being the founder and director of Omega Lamplighters. So let's just talk about what that is for people who don't know about the program. You know, we've talked a lot about what, obviously, what led up to it, what inspired it. But what is the program? What's it all about? What kind of experience do the young men get from it? Yeah, so uh, Lamplighters is a young men's mentoring program. Uh, that was initially, you know, piloted in 2008 while I was still an undergraduate at FAM, um, but really t- t- took some shape in 2011 um, where we launched uh, the formal induction process built on four principles, uh, leadership, academics, maturity, and perseverance. And in the program, it's our, our main goal is to take the youth, give them a, a positive, um, something positive to be a part of, uh, equip them with social skills, job preparedness college uh, readiness and exposure and career development, helping them to navigate those things, but then also providing them a circle of, of kids that, that look like them 
all desiring to be better. So all coming from different backgrounds, but all the, the one main thing in common is that they want more for themselves than what they have now. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, you don't have anything. You just have what your parents have. And that too, just culturally exposing them to the arts and helping them to develop into future leaders. And so the idea was that we would, you know, bring these kids into the program and have them do things that they may not want to do. Like a part of it is they have to do a step performance and some want to, some don't, but it's all about training them through experience. On so tell us what a, what stepping is if for people who may not know. Yeah. So stepping, uh, I guess it, it's a form of African dance started in Africa as a form of like uh, a tribulation when, when the, the men were working okay. and later developed into uh, an art form that divine nine uh, organizations, which are fraternities and sororities, uh, predom- uh, black fraternities and sororities adopted into a form of like expression uh, for what they represent that later developed into a whole cultural program where you have step teams right, all it's over the country. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. It involves, I guess, some of the precision that dance requires, but also that that military precision as well. And, you know, everybody is, is moving as one, uh, kind of like a dance team, but more aggressive. Right. So I interrupted you, but that's one aspect of the program. So is there anything else that, that we kind of need to know about what uh, what Lamplighters is all about or what the goals are? Yeah, so um, over the years, the goals have changed. So now in the program, based off the kids' voices, we've got clubs, um, gaming, biking, uh, trying to get more uh, young men of color into cycling. Mm. Um, STEM, of course, is a huge one, um, and that's a club art. And so the Creative Arts is a program now. So even in STEP, we've added in media arts. So this year the kids will start uh, when we go to travel and compete. Our, our kids who don't step and don't have an interest completely fine um, will now be, you know, videoing those experiences, making stories on Instagram and TikTok, mm. making short videos, interviewing the parents and some of the audience members at those shows so that, they're learning a skill, and it's also helping them to be more confident, too, whether they realize it or not. And a lot of life skill and manhood development. So, like, when the kids finish in our program, we want them to be able to um, take care of themselves and whatever it is that they want, be ready for it. So it's always uh, growing and expanding what we do um, based off what they tell us, but things that we know they need, um, how to be able to, you know, honor your parents, of course, and understanding from where you are. Um, that this is your job, going to school and and doing those things, Mm -hmm. trying to create small kings in a way, like where there'll be rulers one day of the land that they toil, but they can handle anything. So uh, when life hits them, they they understand like that, that, that P, how to get through it. So having them endure some things as a group um, and individually so that they have an experience to go back on to say, I got through this. And at the time, it was very difficult. Now, this is more difficult, so I, I've got to be able to get right. through this as well. Do you recruit kids? Do, do there sign-ups? Are they rec- are they referred? How do they get in the program? So all of the above. Um, in the beginning, very, very much was recruiting. Uh, but now we've grown so much. And, and our program, and I, I forgot to mention, services uh, – Predominantly males of color, but um, we don't discriminate um, okay. as, um, any males. We will love to work with them and really are trying to um, get more youth um, from different eth- ethnical backgrounds into the program so that they all can grow and, and you know, have, have even more uh, 
comfortable experiences with people that don't look like them. So that's right. a really big push that we are, are kind of trying to ingrain after what happened with George Floyd last summer. Right. Uh, but we work with youth fourth through 12th grades and um, in two programs, the Lamplighters and the Junior Lamplighters program. We've got three directors now, one over the high school, one over uh, the elementary and middle, and one over the arts, which is STEP, the cycling, uh, STEM, gaming. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually under those directors will be assistant associate we don't have, we don't have the title yet but that run those small programs in the program right. every day after school we go get them from school they, at our facility they do their tutoring they have you know uh, therapists who you know once or twice a week they just sit individually and talk with a therapist mm-hmm. they got social time like whatever things that they want in that center they can all get it and we see them way more than just a few times a month and right. it's like you know really making a huger impact that's great all right. So in addition to all this, you do have a regular job yeah. with uh, Leon County as volunteer services manager, yeah. right? And from what I see, you started in March 2020. Yep. It's an interesting time to start a new job. So did you? I want to hear about what you do there, but also did you start before everything went crazy or after? So a little bit of both. <laughs> really kind of as it started, right before probably. Okay. So, um, They'd, they'd offered me the, the promotion in January. Uh, I was working in media relations. Okay. And I, of course, uh, I would want to do it. It was basically taking my learned experience, experiences from just everything, you know, like being a servant. So I was, yes, yes. So I, I, they offered it me in January to start in March. So it might have been literally my first day. No, it was my first day as the official Volunteer services manager, I was in the EOC, the Emergency Operations Center, which we activate. Most people are familiar with during hurricanes, but right. in the in the time of a emergency major disaster, uh, we activate the EOC. And it was only partially activated, but a full activation has anybody in, in our co- local community that has any kind of interaction with something that might be impacted during a disaster, they're there. So okay. law enforcement. Um, right. EMS, fire, utilities, anything that could happen in a disaster is fully active, but it was just partially activated. So that right. was my first day. And um, so this is mid-March probably, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Being excited to be able to connect, you know, people uh, to organizations and organizations to people who want to, you know, improve or give back in our community um, was like super exciting for me yeah. and having all of these ideas and um, it being completely different to where, no, nobody can go around anybody yeah um, nobody can so it was it was rough trying to figure out what what that would look like um and then also still because yeah, volunteering volunteers. came to a stop yeah for a while yeah um but there was still a need in some ways but it was difficult right so you right. know people still needed you know food and resources and, and things like that and right so it was it was a. Uh, it was a, a, a difficult time a, a lot of ways because the way you would normally engage volunteers was completely different. Mm. And all of these people wanted to help, but it wasn't a lot of stuff people could really do because the airborne virus. Couldn't be together. Right. Right. You were also a member of Leadership Tallahassee, Class 37. Yes, sir. So uh, tell me about that experience and what impact did that have on you and your kind of outlook of the community and what you learned from that? Huge impact. Um uh, it it, it uh, introduced me to some of my um, closest friends now. It allowed me to really develop deeper relationship with some people who I, I knew on the surface. Um, but, uh, man, like the biggest part was the network. Um, and so I look at it like, you know, the, it connects you now to 
lots of people. You, you've got a, a way in with lots of people, but the, the real impact is in your class because those are people you had that experience with and right. who, you know, who who you you got to spend the most time with and develop the deepest relationship with. But the experience was that it exposed me to so many different things. You know, you think you you know so much about one thing or one area or whatever, but now you're exposed to so many things that make our community what it is, mm -hmm. and it allows you to think at a higher level. Uh, so it was an amazing, amazing experience and even allowed me to – from my experience, start pushing, you know, YLT on some of our kids because some of the experiences that they have in that, they don't have in our program. We're not, we don't do a government day. We don't have the resources to right. pull them out of school for a day and create this experience um, where they can go have all of these. So even now in like making that a part of that program for our kids um, so that they can, you know, be exposed to even more. So, I mean, it's paid so many huge dividends. Even, you know, our, some of our board members are, are my LT classmates now. Um, based off the, the relationships that we've developed and like some of my most close and trusted friends. So I, I can't speak enough about that experience because uh, it, it just allowed me to grow so much um, and beat people who were also in the growing business. Mm -hmm. so. You've been recognized many times for your volunteer work, including an article in Black Enterprise Magazine, a proclamation from the city of Dallas, uh, featured in basically all the Tallahassee media and uh, you were named the Florida Omega Man of the Year from Omega Sci-Fi, right? And uh, so how do you take that all in? What does that mean to you to be recognized for some of your work? I mean, it's it's a huge honor. And I don't know, like, I'm I'm funny about awards. So, like, I I get, I kind of, I don't know, like, it's it's odd to say this, but I've, I've never been a person like that, like the spotlight or, or see, went seeking it. Mm -hmm. Like, I just wanted to be seen. Like, so even in sports and stuff, I just wanted people to be able to see me and not necessarily be the star, like where everybody's looking at you. <laughs> so it um, it's like a, a humbling experience for, for people to say, um, we're, we're going to bestow this upon you um, because I, I never like went seeking it. But it, it, it's, it's a humble uh, but great feeling like the work that we've been doing is is valuable. And I think that's the bigger part. And so. Anytime people give me any kind of recognition, I always try to make sure that I acknowledge that um, depending on what that award is for that, you know, I'm the person that you may see. But it's a lot of people that stand behind me that allow me to be in front of you today. And I just always want to give those people their flowers because without them, I don't I don't receive those awards. And with the Lamplighters now, it's a, a team of people that are doing the day to day. But even in my whole life to get here, you know, like my grandparents, my parents, my mentors, um, family, friends, and all of those people's, the impact they have, have kind of developed me. And so I always try to make sure that those people in, in the honor that people give me get their flowers because without them, it, it doesn't happen. So it's it's always appreciative when, when a kid or a parent says, thank you. Like mm -hmm. those are the things that I appreciate more than the awards when a, when a kid who came through the program and is graduating college or, you know, or he's struggling with something now and I'm the first person he calls and I talk him off the ledge um, and kind of tell him he can still do it. And, you know, he thanks me. Those are the awards that, you know, people don't get to see that that I'm the most proud of. Mm. All right, Royal, looking back, what is the one thing or person that changed the trajectory of your life to this point? The the one thing would have been when my dad told me he wasn't going to help me anymore when I was mm. in uh, 
uh, yeah. in school because it was like a, a eye opener and a gut check, and I, I had so many different emotions like anger and. But when I really looked at it, it was like, man, you 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 are playing. Like mm-hmm. you got to get your stuff together, dude. Like he didn't say he wanted to go to FAMU, and you were blessed to have a me in a position where you had parents that could support you. But you watching people that are really grinding themselves through school so that they can change the, the the lives for their families, and you took it for granted. And so that moment really made me accountable for all the things I said I wanted, and I had to really refocus what I was in Tallahassee for. So I had to stop some stuff. Like, you know, I wasn't as involved with the fraternity. I was, you know, working two jobs and it was school and work. Everything else kind of took a back seat. I I would say that moment because, and then like even, again, kind of like restoring the belief in people because I didn't not have, you know, where was I going to get the money to pay for school? I I called my sister or my mom kind of called her and uh, her husband uh, at, and they, um, they took out two private loans for me from mm-hmm. Wells Fargo. So one for that semester to pay for the semester I could take classes the fall and then one in the spring to pay for the fall so I could take oh. classes in, yeah. in the spring. And they had three kids at the time and they were still, you know, fairly young parents. So maybe early 30s and they co-signed on that loan. And so now it was like more more was at stake mm-hmm. um, than just like disappointment and things like that. They They, they signed on on some paperwork yeah. and um, it, it, it changed my life forever. And I was uh, home this summer and I was just talking to my sister and her husband because now it's been, you know, over 10 years since all of that happened. And I, I don't think I ever sat down and thanked them because had they not co-signed on that loan, I don't really know hmm. what, what could have been. I, I would have tried to find, I would have found a way. Right. But that just made the, the path so much smoother. And I, um, I uh, I told them that, and I was able to. In August, I was able to pay the the, the loans off. They I had, um, had them become one huge loan, and uh, I paid them off in August. And like you know, I broke down like just telling them thank you because the the, the belief that you had in me, and they I, they knew I was. <laughs> they, I mean, they knew you know yeah. my dad wasn't gonna help anymore, so they knew I was at like my lowest point, and they still you know took that you know that 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 risk. And it wasn't always, I was late a few months on payments, but because my, my brother-in-law is in the military, they would always, you know, <laughs> wave that. But, right. So it wasn't always just an easy path. But from that whole experience, so much of who I am was born because I really, if I didn't know it then, I knew you don't get anywhere by yourself. It doesn't matter who you are. And, you know, no one's self-made, you know, because at, at your your most infant stage, somebody had to nurse you. And so at, at some point in everybody's life, we need people. And it really developed in me like that drive to know that you'll always need people. Um, you'll always have the right people. And as long as you don't quit on yourself, regardless of how low you get, you'll always come through. Hmm. All right. Final question. Okay. All right. Uh, the podcast is named how I got here. We've talked about how you got to this point in your life. Where do you think here might be for you in three to five years? So here for me in three to five years is that the lamp lighters will be a national program. Um, and eventually be in partnership with several school districts, um, providing after-school services and having multiple youth centers throughout the United States. And I will oversee all of that. I like to say in the next three years, uh, I'll still be living here in Tallahassee, but I'll be living multiple places, um, traveling um, and just modeling this program. That was Royal King. He serves as a great reminder about the impact we can have on the lives of young people 
when we're able to invest a little bit of ourselves in their future. Royal will be harvesting the fruit of his labors for generations. Thanks for listening to the show. You can subscribe at Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It really does make a difference. Thanks to my amazing staff at Fiori Communications, who pick up the slack while I'm working on these podcasts, and to Troy Bloom for composing our theme music. You can hear more of Troy's creations on Facebook and Instagram at Troy Bloom Music. To connect with the podcast or suggest a future guest, follow us on social media or email us at podcast at fioricommunications.com.